This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word go into the Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter, Mark chapter number 9 this morning, and we'll find verse number 1, Mark chapter number 9. We have come through the first eight chapters of Mark and have taken just a little bit of a break over the summer as we've looked at the series that it may go well with thee and God's desires that it does go well with us. And now we come back to Mark chapter number 9, and we come at, uh, to a point in the life and ministry of Jesus and his disciples that is no doubt a mountaintop experience. Through the ministry of Jesus, the Lord has revealed through his power and through his teaching his person, that he is the Son of God. That is the message of the gospel. And in Mark's gospel, the emphasis is upon his action, his activity. As we come to chapter number 9, we see him revealing to his disciples his majesty and his glory. I want you to read this passage with me. In Mark chapter 9, we'll read verses 1 through 13. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Let me just remind you that in Mark chapter 8, in verse number 29, we have Peter's great confession. When the Lord said, Whom say ye that I am? Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Peter had arrived at the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And upon that confession, Jesus in verse number 31, began to teach them, in chapter number 8, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. You see, his disciples could not reconcile the fact that he was the Messiah and that as the Messiah he would suffer and die. That was not in their thinking. That was not in their uh, teaching and in their mindset that the Messiah would come and be given as a sacrifice. And so Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Verse 33, but when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So it is upon this conversation that the Lord Jesus Christ makes this promise to his disciples that we read in verse number one, that there be some of them that stand here, he said, that shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Verse number two, and after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That means he was changed in his form and in his appearance. He was different. 
The Bible describes this difference for us in verse 3. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias, that is Elijah. Elias is simply uh, the Greek spelling of Elijah. There appeared unto them Elias with Moses. So here's Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only, with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things, And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. I'd like to speak to you for just a few moments on this thought or this subject of the transfiguration of Jesus, the transfiguration of Jesus, what it means, why is it significant, and what it means to us today, what it meant not only to them, but what it means to us today, the transfiguration of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears, that we might hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we find the disciples on the mountain, and they see a, a most amazing sight. They see Jesus, the Son of God, in a form and an appearance that they had never seen him in. He will not appear to them again in this form until after his death and resurrection. But they see him in his glory. I think of the prayer of Moses when he, when he asked the Lord to promise to go up with the people after their idolatry at Sinai. God said, I'll not go up with you. And Moses begged the Lord to go, and he did go. And then Moses said, my prayer, my desire, Lord, is that I would know you, that you would show me your way. In chapter 33, he offers that prayer. And then in verse number 18, emboldened by the response of God, who said that I'll reveal myself to you, I will teach you my ways, Moses said, show me your glory. It's amazing that Moses is here on the mountain because God certainly answered his prayer, did he not? Some 1,400 years after the death of Moses, Moses appears with the Lord Jesus and Elijah. Some 900 years after his death, Moses and Elijah both appear with Jesus on the mount, and Jesus is transfigured. I want you to note three things in this text. Number one, we'll see the demonstration of the sun being the Son of God. Number two, we'll see the declaration of the Father. And then finally, we'll look at the deliberation of the disciples. Let's look together at the demonstration of the Son. 
The Bible says that after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John. These are the disciples who comprise what uh, many of us uh, today who study the Bible have tabbed as the inner circle of the disciples. It's not because they were those who qualified for some exclusive group that Jesus took them, but it was because of their desire to know him in a greater way. Do you know that all of us, all of us have the same access to the Lord Jesus Christ? And we can be as close to him as we desire to be close to him. The Bible says in the book of James, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And so these disciples go with the Lord. And uh, we also understand that he takes three because the Bible teaches us throughout the Old Testament and the New that every truth is to be established in the presence of two or three witnesses. And the Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is preparing his disciples to reveal to them his eternal glory. His, he, he, the veil of his humanity is going to be lifted in this setting on the top of the mountain, and they are, for the first time, going to see the Lord Jesus Christ in, his, in the eternal glory of his deity. Now, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 28 that they went up on the mountain to pray. And while they were there, in verse 32, they became weary and they slept. And when they awoke, what did they see? Well, they saw Jesus as he was transfigured. According to Mark chapter 9 and verse 2, he was transfigured before them. Now, uh, John said, as he gave testimony of this, in John chapter 1 and verse number 14, John said, when we saw him, we beheld his glory. We, we saw the veil of his humanity. It was lifted and we saw him in his infinite, eternal glory. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, John chapter 1 and verse number 14. And so John gave testimony of this event in, his, in the opening of his gospel record. Now, what does it mean that he was transfigured? What does it mean that they saw his glory? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number 3, "...and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow." so as no fuller on earth could white them. Now, also we find that Luke and Matthew record the events of the transfiguration. And Luke tells us in chapter number 9 that the countenance of Jesus, his appearance, his, his face, his, his, his body, his physical form was altered. Matthew goes on to tell us in Matthew chapter 17 that his face, the face of Jesus, did shine as the sun. The radiance and the glory and the brightness of the Son of God uh, emanated on the top of that mountain. Mark tells us that his clothing was exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. No, no uh, dry cleaner could get the stains out uh, to, to create a garment so white there's no bleach that anyone could use, no processes by which anyone could ever go through uh, on the earth. There's no human capacity to make a garment this white. That shows us the source of this glory was Jesus himself, the Son of God, in his deity. You see, here we find Jesus revealing very clearly 
to his disciples that he's not just simply a man, but that he is God. He is God robed in human flesh. And here he is revealing to his disciples his eternal glory. They saw him in his unveiled deity, radiant, glittering, and bright. And like Moses on the mountain, they reflected that glory in their faces. Next we read in verse number four, not only did they see the light of his glory, but then they, they, they have two men that they had never met before, but they'd heard a lot about who were there with Jesus. The Bible says in verse four, and there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. As I mentioned a moment ago, 1,400 years after the death of Moses, Moses is on the mountain with Jesus. Elijah, 900 years after his death, is on the mountain with Jesus. Now, what is the significance? Why is it that God chooses Moses and Elijah? Well, first of all, we see that Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is the lawgiver. He, he's, the, he's the great lawgiver. And uh, when the people, uh, when the people, when they, when they examined the law and they examined that Moses had delivered it to them, they understood that Moses met with God on the mountain in the book of Exodus. And they knew that Moses got the law directly from God and they knew that it was their responsibility uh, to obey the law of God. And when Moses came off that mountain, having met with God, the Bible said that his face shone with the glory of God and they had to put a veil over his face. There was no doubt, there was no question that Moses met with God on the mountain and that Moses saw the glory of God. And so they all accepted this as true. The law was from God. And then Elijah, Elijah the prophet, is a representative of all the prophets. And so we here have in these two men, we have a representative of the Old Testament in its completeness the law, and the prophets. And here we find these two men are on the mountain and they're talking with Jesus. And what are they talking to Jesus about? Luke chapter 9 and verse number 31 says that they were speaking about his soon coming death upon the cross of Calvary. Here we find that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And he is the fulfillment of of the Old Testament prophets. Here's what we find. Everything in the Scripture, the law and the prophets, had been leading up to this point when the Son of God would become a man and give his life on the cross to make the payment for the sins of all humanity. And that is represented here by their presence and by their acknowledgement that Jesus is going to the cross to die. The one who fulfilled the prophecies, the one who fulfilled the law, every command, he kept it. Every ordinance, he fulfilled it. Every sacrifice, he fulfilled it. And so here we find Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so we hear the voice of Jesus in John chapter 5 and verse 39. As the Pharisees questioned him, as they criticized him, he said to them in John 5 and verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. Notice what he said next. And they, that is the scriptures, are they which testify of me. Hey, fellas, you're trying to hold me to some standard. You don't understand that that scripture, the law of Moses and all the prophets, 
They testify of me. And here we find on the mountain a wonderful picture of that as Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, are meeting in the presence of the author of it all, the Son of God, whose, whose glory and whose deity has been unveiled for those disciples. They saw him, the glorified Son of God, in the radiance of his person. They saw that Moses and Elijah were with him. They heard them speaking of the Lord's death. This was the manifestation of his glory, and they could not speak of it until after his resurrection. We see the demonstration of his glory. I want you to note the second thing, and that is the declaration of the Father. And these disciples now, in the brightness of the glory of Jesus the Bible tells us of their response, or at least of Peter's, in verse number 5, And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Notice verse 6, For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. In the presence of God they were terrified. When we meet God, when we are, when we are, when we are encountered with his holiness, Remember what the prophet said? He said, uh, Lord, uh, or Job rather said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. When we get a picture of the holiness and the sovereignty of God, we acknowledge our sin and our sinfulness. When we come into the presence of a holy God, we don't come lightly. We don't come nonchalantly. We come in fear. And here we find that Peter is afraid. He's in the presence of God, the holy God. And being afraid and knowing not what to say, he does what most of us would do. He opens his mouth and says something very foolish. Notice what he says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Let, let's just stay here on this mountain. There's no reason to go back down. There's no reason for you to even talk about your death. Let's just stay here on this mountain. We'll just call everybody up here, and we'll usher in the kingdom. And uh, you and Moses and Elijah uh, can share in the glory. Well, that was certainly an error of thinking on his part, and it was also him trying to impose his ideas concerning what the Lord ought to do upon the Lord. Isn't it uh, what we often do when we try to tell God in his glory how to guide our lives and how to meet our needs. Lord, there's no reason for me to suffer through this situation. That's absolutely what we do. And then all of a sudden, as he's speaking, he's enveloped by a cloud. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5 and also in Luke 9, 34, that a bright cloud overshadowed them as, as Peter was speaking. Here is a bright cloud that overshadows them. The Bible tells us here in Mark chapter number 9 in verse number 7, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. We understand that it is in the cloud that we find the presence of the Father. And so here we have the Father and the Son, and we have the prophets, and we have the law. And we have the disciples, and they hear the voice of the Father, and the Father has one message. Here it is. This is my beloved Son. He is authenticating 
for them the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my beloved son. Do you remember when Jesus went to be baptized? The Bible tells us that John baptized him, and when he ascended up out of the water, the Bible said there was a voice that came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here we hear the father's voice for the second time. This is my beloved son. And notice the message of the father. Hear him. Stop talking. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to tell me how I ought to do things. By the way, isn't that what the sea of humanity is doing to God today? So we don't like the God of the Bible. We, we don't understand the God of the Bible. And so here we want to create a God in our own image who will do things the way that we believe. And therefore, we, we discredit his authority and we try to go about to establish our authority. But here we find the Son of God on the mountain and the veil of his humanity has been lifted and his transcendent glory, his everlasting glory, the glory of God the Father has been revealed in him. And so it is clear that this is not just a simple man, not just a simple prophet who, as Nicodemus said, God must be with you. No, no, no. It wasn't that God was with him. It's that he was God. And as such, we need to be silent and we need to be still so that we might hear him. Now, I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter number 1. We find the significance of this statement, hear him. This is my beloved son. In Hebrews chapter number 1, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers, but by the prophets. Here's what he means. Throughout history, throughout different ages, and in different ways, God spake in time past unto the fathers, unto the previous generation, by the prophets. God revealed his word through his prophets. That's what he's saying. Now, verse number two, that same God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his, would you say the next word with me, church? How's he spoken unto us? By his son. That's why God the Father on the mountain said, this is my beloved son, hear him, hear him. The, 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 the declaration or the demonstration rather of his glory authenticates his authority and therefore he can speak to us and we are to hear him. Listen, Allah, uh, Muhammad, uh, Buddha, no other religion in the world saw their Messiah go to the top of the mountain and receive the glory of God or reveal rather the glory of God. This is one of the great miracles of the life and ministry of Jesus. Second only to his resurrection is the revelation of his glory, his everlasting glory. And he proves that he is the God of all eternity because here's a man dead for more than 1,400 years and a man dead for more than 900 years, and they're in his presence. He is the God of eternity. He's the God of the living and not the dead. The Bible says, He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, 
whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now, the case is being made that God is speaking to us through his Son. Now, notice in verse 3, who, that's Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I want you to see that the, the case is being made for us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, revealed his glory so that we might know who he is, so that when he speaks, we might hear his voice, and we have his message. We have what he has spoken in the word of God. Now, I want you to go with me. Uh, to 2 Peter chapter 1. You're in Hebrews. You're not far from it. So find 2 Peter chapter number 1. Now, Peter is writing here concerning these events and concerning the authority of the Word of God. Remember now, there's the declaration of the Father, and the declaration of the Father is, quit talking, listen to my Son. Have you listened to Jesus? His authority has been authenticated by his miracles and by his teaching and the power that he demonstrates, and now by the unveiling of his eternal glory. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What is he speaking of here? He's speaking of what he saw on the mountain. He said we were eyewitnesses of it. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this is the voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. That's the same voice. He said, we heard him say it when he was baptized, and we heard him say it in the holy mount. We want you to know that we were there. We were eyewitnesses. We heard it firsthand. Therefore, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. This isn't made up. This isn't story time. These are facts. Verse 19. Now notice this, please. Can you imagine being there on the mountain, how it would have changed your perspective? You said, man, you ought to saw what I saw. But now notice what he says. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here's what he says. I got something better than the voice I heard on the mountain. I've got something better than the glory I saw in the face of Jesus. Can you imagine that? As glorious as that was, here's what Peter's saying. I got something better than that. I have the inspired word of God. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Only Moses got on the mountain. Nobody else in Israel over two million saw him go up to that mountain. They saw the smoke descend. They saw him when he came off that mountain. They saw him with the glory of God in his face, and they knew he had met with God. And when he spoke, here's what they knew. They knew he spoke with authority. They knew he spoke the truth of the word of God. How do we know it? 
How do we know this New Testament is correct? How do we know the testimony of these men are correct? Because Peter, James, and John went up to the mountain. They saw it firsthand. They heard the voice from heaven. They came down, and they testified of it today. And they reveal to us that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. He is who he said he is. And when he came out of the grave on the third day, he proved by a demonstration of his own glorious resurrection that he was who he said he was. And now he has given to us his word. Now, you remember Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory. And so he went up to the mountain, and God put him in the cleft of the rock. And God said, I, I, you can't see my face and live, but here's what I want you to know. I'm going to hide you, and I'm going to pass by you. And then the Bible tells us that God there, as he passed by Moses, hiding him in the cleft of the rock, proclaimed the name of the Lord. Do you know what God did to reveal to Moses his glory? He spoke to him. He spoke to him. And do you know how God reveals his glory to us today? He speaks to us. Oh, we should never neglect the Bible. We should never neglect the Scripture. We have an opportunity every day to get into the Bible and meet with God. We have a more sure word of prophecy. The declaration of the Father. Hear him. The demonstration of the Son. Here's my glory unveiled. I don't have time this morning, but if we did, we'd look at the deliberation of the disciples as they came off the mountain. They didn't understand it. They had questions. And God said, I want you to know. The Son of God said, you must trust me. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. And he did. But Peter, James, and John, after his death, when they were wondering, they thought about that glory that he had unveiled to them. And they really didn't fully grasp it till sometime after his resurrection. What he was giving them was a preview of the glory that was to come. And that preview of the glory that was to come was to enable them to endure the suffering of the de of, uh, and death of the cross. And friend, you and I, have in this Bible a preview of the glory that is to come. And that is to lead us through this life of toil and struggle, pointing us to Jesus that we might endure it because we've set our affection on things above. We're looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And as we sang this morning, though we are growing older and though we're faced with trouble on every hand, we're going to a land where we'll never grow old. He was transfigured. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link 
provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.